Uh, good morning, everybody that's online. Um, so uh, Mitch has been speaking wonderfully about adore him and about our relationship with God, and, and I've really enjoyed his last two words. Um, so we're going to talk about adore him in a specific way this morning. But uh, uh, Mitch was sharing a couple of weeks ago about this analogy where, it's a great analogy Mitch showed, where he was talking about God's light and that God puts light on things. But sometimes we have to change our perspective to be able to see that light. Um, for instance, if you have a flashlight and you're, you're kind of just shining it off into the sky, you may not see any light. But if you turn your perspective where you can see it, it'll, you'll be able to see the light. Um, it's a really good analogy for our relationship with God. I would like to take that even a little further as we go in and look at this in a little different direction. Um, there are places where we want lots of light and places where we don't sometimes. Um, these lights up here, if you've never been up here, can be a little uncomfortable. And if you look right at them, you're not going to see anything else for a few minutes. <laughs> It's kind of a good example. Yeah, there's places where we want spotlights. You take, if, you, if you take my picture, you can flash light in my face when you're taking a picture, you know. If you're on a stage, you want lights to be able to see. Um, there are places where we really don't want lights. You know, when I first get up in the morning, I don't want a lot of bright light on in the house. You know, I'm not a flip every light on in the house in the morning kind of person. At night, if you get woken up in the middle of the night, you don't want somebody flipping the bedroom light on or <laughs> necessarily like, turn that off. Um, I'll even ask you guys. Um, there are two types of people. There are the, I'm going to turn the light on in the bathroom at night, no matter who it wakes up, people. <laughs> and that's okay to be that. If you're one of those people, raise your hand. If you're the, turn the light on to, in the bathroom. If you're the, I'm going to leave the light off, even if I bump into stuff and get hurt to use the bathroom, raise your hand. <laughs> so there are places where we want the light on and we don't want the light on. Um, there are places where we, we, we need a, a light shined at times. Um, here at the at Tree of Life at the daycare, they have nap time from like noon to two. And if you're coming into the building on a bright sunny day and you walk in and you've had all that sunlight in your face, and then you turn and go into one of the classrooms where the children are all asleep. It's completely dark. You can't see anything. We had a situation where I almost fell on top of Jen, Jen Nasser one day. I almost crushed her. I couldn't see anything. And I was like, I'm so sorry, are you okay? <laughs> um, but there are places where we need light, and there are places where we don't, because we don't want to wake up the kids. Um, when you go to the dentist office, they shine a bright light in your face. And the dentist is like, yeah, hold still for a minute, Mitch. We're going to check this, you know, shine a light right in your face. Well, they have to see to be able to work on what we need worked on. Um, if you're awake during surgery, which hopefully you're not, but if you are, they have bright lights on during surgery too, you know. Um, you want bright lights in a kitchen when you're working on food. In fact, somebody told me recently that there's a, the health department requires a minimum number of lumens in a kitchen so that you know the meat is cooked. That makes sense, right? I don't want to get served meat that hasn't been cooked. So there's places where we, we need light shined. Um, there are places where it, it may be uncomfortable to have light shined, but we need it. Um, I, I, we put away animals at my house. We've got like chickens, ducks, a bunny rabbit, two geese, 
um, we have all these animals that we have to put away at night. And I used to put them away at night. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I could see in the dark really well. And so I was like, ah, I don't need to turn on any light. I kept falling over stuff in our yard because I couldn't see. And the kids were like, Dad, you got to quit doing that. We're not going to let you put the animals away if you keep busting yourself in the middle of the yard at night because you can't see anything. My wife was like, just use your flashlight on your phone. <laughs> but all of this is just to say that there are moments that we need light shined on things, that we need to have clarity, even if it's a little uncomfortable to have the light on. Um, we're going to talk about a particular word. If you guys will put up that first slide for me. There's a Hebrew word called henani. And um, it's, uh, it's usually translated as here I am. For example, um, the little boy Samuel in the temple, when the Lord speaks to him, and he's sleeping, the Lord wakes him up and says, Samuel. And he says, here I, here I am. It actually, what he said, the Hebrew word is henani. And it literally doesn't mean here I am. It means behold me or behold I. And the word has a lot more importance than just, hey, here I am. It's more like, behold me, shine the light onto me, and here I am to present myself before you. Um, and it, it's more of a deeper meaning in that it's, it's spoken in places where someone would speak to the Lord or speak to someone else and say, I'm here fully and completely, and you see all of me. In other words, it's like saying, shine the light in the dark places in me. Let me be fully revealed. Shine the light into all the, the places in who I am. And when it's spoken to God, it's like agreeing with God and saying, you see me fully and completely, Lord. There's no place I can hide. So we're going to look at this word because there's a lot of places it's used. And there are, are Greek versions of the word in the New Testament where it's used. But it's really cool to look at the Lord walking through people's relationships where they speak this word, and the Lord speaks this word. And it's a place of vulnerability where somebody opens themselves up completely to the Lord and says, I really want to hear what you have to say, Lord. Here I am completely. Um, this word appears like 318 times in the Bible. This particular version, about 30. Um, it's spoken by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. They always say this word either to God or from father to son, son to father, brother to brother. So it's a relational word. It's not something somebody would just say off the top of their head. Um, God uses a form of this when he makes certain covenants with man. So he's saying, behold me, I'm going to make, what, what I say is truth. You can hold me to this. You can shine a light on it anytime you want. And I'm, I'm rock solid with it. Um, in some forms, all of the prophets just about say it. Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, Amos, and even Elijah either said this to God or a messenger who was bringing something important. And they were opening themselves up and saying, you reveal to me truth, and here I am at attention. Um, this was a declaration that encompasses everything. Um, and it's, if you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, there was a time when they walked with the Lord and weren't ashamed. And that was kind of the, the Hanani moment with God in the garden. When they were hiding themselves, 
was not a Hanani moment. You know, when they were pulling back from the Lord and afraid. So let's look at some different instances. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is, well, you know what, before we even get to that, let me just share a little personal anecdote. Um, I went through some, some difficult periods um, in my relationship with Allison before we were married, and just personally. Um, about, uh, about two years before we got married, our relationship kind of broke apart. And it wasn't because um, either of us did anything spectacularly bad to one another. We loved each other. But Allison, in her relationship with God, said, Ted, I can't move forward until the Lord tells me that you're the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. She had watched her parents go through a catastrophic divorce with anger and abuse and all sorts of things and, and collateral damage with her and her sisters. And she was like, I'm not doing that. I have to have the Lord's permission to move forward. This was really hard for me because I had not operated like that. I'd had a couple moments where I felt like the Lord shared some deep things and led me out of some stuff. But in general, I didn't ask God's permission for where I was going. I just kind of buckled up and said, I'm headed that way. I think I'll choose that one. Um, and so I wasn't used to that. It was really hard. But there was a finality to our relationship and that I felt like it, things were over between us. Um, and she was living in a different state, going to a different college. And uh, I thought, well, that's it. She's gone. Um, right after that, I, I had been part of a Christian music group that was like touring and traveling. We were going to youth rallies, revivals, Christian camps. It's a great experience for me. And the Lord had kind of taken a lot of things in music that I enjoyed that had been very negative and tied to drugs and alcohol and turned them positive. And so I had really enjoyed that part of my life, but that came to an end too. Uh, all the guys in this group kind of were together saying, we either are going to move forward and this becomes a profession and we can make a living at it, or we're going to go do something else. And everybody kind of collectively said, I think it's time to go do something else. But that was really hard too, and that kind of fell apart. So I was in a moment where I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, here's this person who I felt like was the love of my life. That's over. Here's this thing I've been a part of that I really enjoyed, that I felt like God was a part of and led me to, and it's over. Where do we go from here, God? And so I wanted the Lord to speak to me the way people heard God speak to them in the Bible. Um, and so I went literally to a mountaintop. I went, I just took some water. I didn't even have food with me. But I went hiking by myself and just hiked up the top of this mountain. And it was a particular path that I knew not many people used. Um, I was very familiar with this state park. And so I just went up there and hung out all day on the mountaintop. And I asked God, I said, you just speak to me. And at one point I got mad because I wasn't hearing him. And I was like, I asked you to speak to me. So I literally just yelled at the top of my voice. I don't know if no one heard me but bears out there, but <laughs> just yelling for God, say something. But I just sat for a long time, literally like eight hours up there. And at some point, I felt like the Lord said, I have called you to be my servant. I've called you to ministry. That's what I want you to pursue. Not Allison, not music. I want you to go pursue ministry. So I was, I was really happy that I felt like I'd actually heard God's voice. And so I did that. I changed colleges. I went from the state school I was at to a, a university that was a Christian school, started studying theology and ministry. Um, 
And lo and behold, at some point in the middle of that process, and I was having more of these Hanani moments where I'd go talk to God and I'd hear his voice, and I was excited about that. I get a phone call from Allison one day, and we were still friends. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And she said, crazy things happen. She said, I feel like God has been speaking to me, and he's telling me that I need to get married. I was so completely resolved that I was not going to get her back that I said, to who? <laughs> I thought there was some other dude. I just met some guy. I'm going to get a wedding invitation. That's going to be a dilemma. <laughs> what do I give them as a gift? She said, to you. I was like, really? She said, yeah. And it wasn't a one-time thing. She had, she had prayed. She had heard from the Lord different little things. And it had been sort of a process. She had prayed with other people for confirmation and felt like she was confident. That was where the Lord was leading her. And I just, like, started jumping around and dancing. I told my friends. I was like, guess what? <laughs> so we told everybody we weren't really engaged. We were more like betrothed. Um, she needed to finish school, so we had another year for her to finish. So we were going to wait until she finished school. I was pursuing the degree that I was in. Um, and so, hey, some things changed in my life through that. Um, as we were nearing marriage, we had to make a decision what we were going to do at that point. And one of the other dilemmas I had was the big denomination that I grew up in, that I was a part of, that I went to church at that I was studying ministry in this university at, had some very traditional kind of legalistic views and did not include the Holy Spirit, really, in, in moving and working. And I wasn't cool with that. In fact, a bunch of the other students studying to be ministers in this denomination also weren't cool with it. We would talk about that all the time. And you know, I, I went and tried to have an any moment with God again. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do because... I'm comfortable with this denomination. I'm comfortable with what they believe. I grew up with it. But if I lead a new Christian to Christ, I can't lead them to these views. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And if I start teaching things that I feel like are truth, there are some places where I'm going to be in conflict. I'm going to conflict with some leaders in this group. And I love them. But, man, I don't want to be in that situation unless you're calling me to do that. And so I just, I went to this church sanctuary in the church where I grew up, and that place is like home to me. I could go sleep on one of the pews right now. <laughs> my parents got married there. My brother and sister, brother-in-law and sister got married there. My wife and I got married there. Um, and so I went and just sat on a day nobody was there and talked to God and said, what do I do? I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to stay in this denomination? and duke it out and fight for what I feel like you're saying is true. And I waited. And at some point I felt like the Lord said, you may go. So I said, all right. So um, not too much longer after that, we ended up here in the New River Valley. Um, I transferred to a, a little Pentecostal Bible college here in Christiansburg, and that's how we ended up here. Um, but I say all that to say those were a series of moments where in my willingness to go to God and, and wait on him to speak and open up these difficult trials in my life, 
that there was transformation that happened. There were good things that happened. I wouldn't be here in front of all of you if it weren't for those moments. I dare say I would not have had the Lord tell my wife to marry me had I not been willing to pursue those 1080 moments because God wanted me to pursue him before I pursued her. When I was willing to pursue him, he gave her back. So let's look at some moments in the Bible. Um, if you guys will go to the next slide, please. Um, and this is from Genesis 22. We're kind of kind of go over this quickly, but it's the story about Abraham and Isaac where the Lord asked I, him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. This is kind of a hard thing to understand. But sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Abraham replied, Hineni, here I am. Shine the light on me, Lord, and let me hear what you have to say. And he replied, and then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. Why would God ask him to do this? Like, didn't God promise him this son? Didn't God promise him a nation of children through this son? Why would the Lord ask this? This sounds not just crazy or wrong, but kind of brutal. I, was, I told my wife I was going to speak on this scripture, and she was like, I don't really love that whole passage of the scripture. It's not my favorite, honestly. <laughs> But Abraham does. He opens himself up and says, Hanani, here I am, Lord, you speak. Yeah. Go ahead and show the next scripture. Um, now, they're in this process. He's leading Isaac up to the altar, up the mountain. Abraham knows what the Lord is asking to do. Isaac is not a child here, by the way. He was a young adult. And he's not stupid. They're not taking a sacrifice with him, but they're going to sacrifice. And so he, he says, you know, he, Isaac spoke up and said, he said, Father? And Abraham says right back to his son, and hey, ain't he? I'm open to you too, son. He says, the fire and the wood are here. Where is the lamb and the, for the burnt offering? Hard question, right? Isaac's not stupid. And so God is testing not just Abraham, but also Isaac. You know, he's old enough that if he did not wish for this to happen, his father would physically not be able to force him. If he wanted to just say, forget this, I don't know what that knife is for, but I'm not going anywhere near it. You know, he, he, if he wanted to not be a part of this, he could have. Go on to the next slide, please. And then we know what happens at the end of this. Abraham's going through with this. Isaac is going through with it. You know, he sees what's happening with his father. And they both do this because they know the Lord has asked for it. And it says, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, Hanani, he replied. And I bet this was a, I'm really glad you interrupted me, Hanani. I'm ready for some other commandment right now. That'd be great. 
please tell me something else at this moment. Right? But he is open. He says, shine a light on this and let's stop it. I'm cool with that, Lord. And of course, you know, God tells him, do not lay a hand on the boy. And I, I prayed a lot about this. Why did God let this happen? If you guys would please back up a couple slides. One more. Oh, no, you're good. Go forward one more. There we go. Why did God do this? Because this seems like a bad thing. But remember, first of all, the end result was not a dead Isaac. God was merciful. The end result was not a dead Isaac. The end result was that you had a father and a son who obeyed the Lord, even in a super scary thing, together, and experienced this together. Think about that. So the Lord, first of all, is, he's testing, and Abraham and Isaac are answering the test in obedience. And so that, they're opening themselves up to what the Lord would do in that. But also, he's bonding the two of them together. You know, for the rest of their lives, they're going to have this crazy, unique experience where they both said yes to the Lord, no matter what, as father and son. So the Lord used that for good. The second thing that happens is God also does this for us. Abraham had no idea we would read this thousands of years later, but we do. And look at what he says. Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. What does that sound like to you? Sounds a lot like God and Jesus. Right? Take your son, your only begotten son, and sacrifice him. So the Lord here is speaking prophetically through Abraham and Isaac to show us where he's headed as our God and our Redeemer. And he allows Abraham and Isaac to be a part of this story. Um, we're going to see more parts of this story. But I'll challenge you guys. We think a lot of times about how God is in our life. You know, if, if people ask us about our faith. Well, yeah, God's a part of my life. I have a relationship with God. You know, we, we've spent all this time, Mitch and I, here talking about relationship with God. You know, do we think about the fact that God has a relationship with us, that we're in God's life. We think about Moses being in God's life. We think about Elijah being in God's life or David being in God's life. But we don't, we don't think about the fact that we're in God's life. We're a part of his life. So are all these people we're going to go through. So this is all a part of God's life with us and the things he shares to us. And we're going to see where he says Hanani to us. Um, Let's go on to the next slide. Um, so we've sort of fast forward quite a bit to Isaiah, um, the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord spoke a lot of crazy things to Isaiah. And this was a hard time for Israel. The people of Jerusalem were in captivity far off in another land and suffering. And this is the Lord's children. This is his daughter. Um, so let's look at this scripture. And it's a beautiful poem, and it reveals a lot about God's heart for the people of Israel and for us. 
and his plan all along in his life with us. He says, awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. God sees our shame and his pain. He says, put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. It's cool that he looks at Jerusalem. And the reason Jerusalem's in captivity is at least partially because they were disobedient to God. And they put themselves into relationship with people who would take them captivity. Um, they got themselves into a lot of trouble. Um, but God's response to this is not, you deserve this, you unfaithful, unrighteous idolaters. No, it's compassion. Like he has compassion for his daughter, for Zion. Um, and he says, he goes on to say, shake off your dust, sit up and throne Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. Daughter Zion, now a captive. He's calling the people of Jerusalem, his people, his daughter, to be who she really is, to be who they are. Not to be captives, not to be subject to the problems they're having, to be who he made them to be, to be free. It's a beautiful phrase that he uses when he, when he says daughter Zion. Um, to refer to this, and there's a lot behind the word Zion that I won't even go into, but if you start looking into the word Zion, it's pretty interesting what you see. Uh, if you guys would go to the next slide. For this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, at first my people went down to Egypt to live. This is not the first time God's daughter, Israel, has gotten into trouble, right? Um, lately Assyria has oppressed them and now what do I have here declares the Lord so he sees the problem um, we can go on to the next slide but he sees the problem but he has a solution like he's calling out a solution and here's the best part he says for my people have been taken away for nothing and those who rule them mock declares the Lord and I'm sure that the people who were of faith who were in captivity would talk about their God and their relationship with God. And the people who had them in captivity would make fun of that. Well, where's your God now? Where is this powerful God who loves you so much? Where is this God? And so they made fun. And God answers that. He says, all day long, my name is constantly blasphemed. But, therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, Hineni, behold me. The Lord is saying, I'm going to shine a light on who I am to show you what my plan is. And more immediately, he was going to lead Jerusalem back home. But in a more extended sense, he leads us all back home through the plan we're going to see. Um, going to the next scripture. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation who say to daughter Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And he gives a picture of what happens 
in his, his daughter Zion, in the nation of Israel, and also in us as individuals, the natural response to the Lord revealing himself to us, revealing his heart for salvation, is rejoicing, is praise, is bursting into song, is crying from the mountaintop. That's the natural result. When we see really who God is and his relationship with us, when we see that light shine on his goodness and how he loves daughter Zion, this is what happens. Let's go on to the next scripture. He says, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm. We're starting to get into some pictures of Jesus here. This is what happened with Jesus. His arms were laid bare. So the Lord is speaking through Isaiah to begin to show us not just what he's going to do for the nation of Israel, but the big plan. The big plan of salvation. And who's involved? Jesus. And so he's using speech in Isaiah that refers specifically to Jesus. And we can see it clearly. And he says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So he's still talking some about what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. But we're going to see more prophecies. Uh, go ahead, one more slide. And finally he says, see my servant will act wisely. And he's really focusing in on Jesus here. He says he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Wow, this is a rough thing that the Lord's going to go through with Jesus. But they look at us and say, it's worth it, daughter Zion. We love you. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. And there's this cool thing that happens when Jesus comes on the scene. He begins speaking and ministering and uh, healing, performing miracles. And there are all these old, old words in the Old Testament that were spoken by the prophets, especially Isaiah, that began to become true, that made no sense, you know, a 1, thousand, fifteen hundred years earlier. But they make perfect sense when people see Jesus and see what he's doing. And there, there, were, there were priests and scribes who came out and, and just declared in the street corners and started reading this out loud because they were like, it's happening. The guys who got it, who saw it, you know, they were seeing it. And so the Lord, in this whole process of gathering up daughter Zion and healing her, is also laying out prophecy for all of us later. Um, and so he's, he, he is opening himself up, not just in an immediate response, hey, God, we're in captivity, come save us. This is the glory of God, is that a lot of times when we ask for something that we feel like we need, the Lord says, you need way more than that. You need far more than you think you need. Just returning you to the city you came from is not enough. 
I have a bigger salvation for you. Behold me. Let's go to the next slide. So, moving right along, and we're packing in a lot this morning. But this is all one continuous story, so I wanted to try to get it all in here. But moving along, we come to uh, Mary. Mary's another person who's in God's life. He has a relationship with Mary. She's special to him. But we're special to him, too. But I want to look at the Hanani moment that Mary has with God. Because it's powerful. Um, and here we read the angel. You know, the angel visited Mary to tell her what was going to happen. She's this young girl, really. You know, who's faithful to God. Um, but there's a lot of crazy things about to happen in her life. The Lord is going to work through her life in a way that's good things will happen, but awkward and hard things will happen as well. Mary will have to endure some things that are hard in this, but not without reason. But the angel Gabriel comes to her, and the angel, uh, wait a minute, do we, back up one more here. Did I miss it, or am I? No, I'm sorry, go forward one. <laughs> sorry. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is when he speaks to Mary, and he tells her what's going to happen, and she says, how is this possible? I'm not married yet. I've never been with a man. How am I going to have a child? And he explains what's going to happen to her. Go forward one more slide. And her response is amazing. There's this Greek word, and it's pronounced idu, but it's very similar to Hanani. In fact, if you go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, that people who didn't speak Hebrew could still read the scriptures. They always translate Hanani into the Greek word idu, which means behold or behold me. But her literal translation, because they messed this up in other translations, but her literal translation of what Mary says, she says, behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Like she's speaking over herself something so vulnerable and so awkward and so weird. But because the Lord says this is what's going to happen, she says, yes, Lord. Shine your light on me and I accept this. I proclaim myself the handmaiden of the Lord and I accept it. And she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Think about all the stuff that happens through this, through her willingness. Um, <laughs> she goes on right after this in Luke, and there's a whole scripture we won't even look at, but she begins to sing this beautiful song of praise to God in poetry. And it's long. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she actually prophesies God's plan and all of these things that are going to happen and have happened. And he reveals this. Because she's willing to open that door and say, shine your light into me. And the next thing that happens is she begins to be filled with vision of all this. Um, but think about how, first of all, how hard this was. Because there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand or don't accept that this was a miracle. They're going to look at Mary in a very negative way. 
there were probably family members who were like, I don't know about all that. I don't know, angel appear to you. I don't know about that now. You know, there are going to be community members who are like, Mary, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's going to be a lot of things she goes through that's hard. Joseph was going to go through a lot of hard things related to this. Um, so it's not an easy thing to accept. But all of the things that follow through this doorway, through Mary saying, behold me, Lord, shine your light, and I'll do what you ask. All of the things that follow, think about all the people in the Bible who said powerfully, let your will be done, and the good things that happen. Of all of them, Mary and Jesus are pretty much the two most powerful out of all of them. Noah, I think, is pretty powerful. We'd all be dead, right? <laughs> if he didn't say, I'm building that boat, because God said to. Uh, I mean, you know, David said some powerful, your will not my Lord. You know, there's a lot of people who said powerful ones. But think about Jesus is probably the most powerful. Mary is probably right behind him. For her to say this, to accept this, to let this light be shined awkwardly and vulnerably into her life and allow this to happen, not just allow it, but to proclaim over herself this. This is who I am because the Lord says it. Let it be done. Yeah, Joseph does too, but Mary opens up so much, and so much I can't even understand how vulnerable it was because I'm a man. Let's be honest. There's a lot of, of what she went through. I have no clue what it was like. But she opens that doorway, and through it, the Lord, in his relationship with us, continues to walk out his plan for all of our benefit. And I like to think that when she begins to see Jesus, when she's older, when she begins to see her son perform miracles and people see it, and they're bringing the sick to him in droves, and he's healing them. And he's multiplying food for thousands of people. And he's preaching, and all these people are listening. I love to think that she thinks, yes, I told y'all. Yes. Yeah. I love this was not in vain. Right, all that junk I dealt with, yes. Get it, Jesus. <laughs> that's my son I'd like to think that she feels that way you know and what a reward for somebody being willing to obey the Lord like that although there was more hardship um, let's go on to the next slide now I'm going to go right past <laughs> Jesus' ministry and his crucifixion and you're like uh, why are we doing that Ted <laughs> Um, because I want to see something important that maybe we don't look at. And that's Jesus, not just Jesus in his ministry, Jesus in the gospel, Jesus in his death and resurrection and our salvation, but the fact that he's still with us. Let's look at that. Because that is ultimately the end part of God's plan. is not just the things that the Lord would do for us, but the relationship he would have with us. So, all the way in Revelations. How many of you guys didn't know that Jesus spoke in the book of Revelations? I don't know that I knew that, you know. I knew he spoke in the Gospels, but I was like, whoa, he's talking through John in Revelations? And sure enough, he does. 
Jesus cries out through the prophet John, those whom I rebuke and discipline, or those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I shine the light and heal. It's not meant out of anger. It's meant out of love. And he says, so be earnest and repent. Allow that light to come in. And what comes out of it, here I am. Behold me. Jesus, Emmanuel. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and I love what he says here, because he doesn't say, you may be a disciple of mine. He doesn't say formal things here. He doesn't say, if, any, you know, if anyone um, allows me to come in, then I will come in and do really formal things. No, he says, I'll come in and eat with that person, sit down and dine with them, and they with me. Behold me. Personal relationship. You know? That's transformational and saving. This is what he's still offering us right now. Um, the end of God's walk through all of this from Abraham all the way through the prophets, through Mary's willingness, through everything Jesus went through, through Jesus right now is him saying, behold me, here I am. I'm right here with you. And so I would just say to all of you guys this morning, is there a Hanani moment waiting for you? Is there something you're dealing with that you don't have answers to, that you need a light shined into? Because he's waiting to do so. He's waiting for you to simply say, behold me. I'm not holding anything back. I know you can see all of me. Shine the light in. And for him to say, here I come. I'm shining the light. Is there a Hanani moment waiting for you? Are you just stuck? Are you in some place where you're like, I'm not in a particularly bad condition, but what's next? What's next with you, God? Where's the next part of our path? Where are we going? How do I fit in this story of God's relationship with us, of God's life? How do I fit into God's life? I want to be in God's life. God, I want to be in your life. Instead of asking, how's God in my life? I want to say, how do I fit into God's life? Right? Is there a place that you can go to God and find a new adventure? Maybe he's got something completely different around the bend that you didn't expect. All of these people we talked about may not have expected what was around the bend for them. You know? And more importantly, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you have not made him your Lord and Savior, he's waiting to open the door and come in and sit down with you. He's waiting for you to simply say, I'm here. I know you can see all of me. I want to see all of you. And he will say, behold me. I'll show you. And here's all of it. Here is salvation. Here's love. Here's direction. Uh, here's answers to your problems. Here's someone to cry with you in your grief. Here's someone to show you love that you've never seen before. <laughs> here's someone to sing to you when no one's ever sung to you before. So I just say to you this morning, if that's you, this is your moment. This is the Hanani moment. Come and just sit in the presence of God. Come and just wait on him to speak and see what he says. Come open it up.